Romans chapter 5. And we'll be reading for verses 1 to 11. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 11, where we're told, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, good morning. Can everybody hear me at the back? Can you hear me okay? Well, as as Mark said, uh, my name is Rob. I'm from Beechwood Chapel. I'm one of the elders at Beechwood Chapel. I have been for almost 10 years. I had to blink a few times when I realized that. Uh, only a week or so ago. And it's 10 years since uh, the church was part of a revitalization project when a team from Liverpool uh, came to be part of and joined with the church family that was existing at that time. And praise God, we've seen God work in those 10 years. Has it been hard? Yes. Have we lost people? Yes. Have people been one for the Lord? Yes. Praise God. And it's my joy to be with you this morning. Uh, Mark said I, I came and spoke in an evening service, not uh, probably pre-pandemic. So it's wonderful to be here uh, at the community centre with you. Um, and it was wonderful as well that you've been praying for us, not only recently but over the years. Thank you too for praying for us during our Love Beachwood event last week, and for some of you who came to be to join us at the beach. Uh, That was a real encouragement to the church, so we thank you for that. And I hope you know, too, that we pray also for you and that you are much loved by us for your partnership in the gospel. So I thank you. Well, let's look at this incredible passage. And in light of what we've heard this morning, it seems quite timely. The Lord has a wonderful way of doing that, doesn't he? But a question I want to begin with is this. Why are our feelings so shaky? Well, when we see pictures like that on the screen from Ukraine, it's no wonder that our feelings are shaky. But it puts our feelings into perspective sometimes, doesn't it? 
But should we feel any different for being a Christian? You see, we can feel happy, we can feel delight, admiration in one moment, and just as quickly we feel sad or angry or fearful. How we feel has this enormous influence on our lives. Think of the choices that we make based on how we feel. What work we do, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what we eat, what we don't eat. Lots of things come into play. And we say, well, that felt right. I had a good feeling about it. It feels good. So just go and do it. Well, if I were to ask you this morning, how are you feeling today? You would probably answer by saying things that are going on in your life right now. I've enjoyed seeing my family this week. I'm stressed with situations going on in work. I'm frustrated with my football team, although for the Blues, it was a better day than most yesterday. You see, we talk about the present, don't we? And how that makes us feel inside. And while we may have memories of the past or hopes for the future, but we experience the present. And our past matters. Because it shapes who we are. It shapes our identity. We have memories, both good and bad, that influence us. And our future matters because it impacts our security. We all have hopes and fears for the future. And our present experience, I think, is steered by those two things by our past, by our future. But what difference is it going to make you this morning for being a Christian? Well, Romans 5, I hope you've still got it in front of you. Sentence 1 begins, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And in Romans chapters 1 to 4, Paul explains how we can be justified, how we can be put right, made right with God, And here is that foundation at the beginning of Romans 5 that it's built upon. God announces we are right with him by faith alone, by grace alone, by Jesus Christ alone. We've sung that this morning. And then in chapters 5 through to 8, Paul goes on to ask the question, what is it going to be like to be a Christian? If you're not yet a Christian believer this morning, listen to what Paul says will happen if you become one. These are practical, experiential chapters. And in our Bible passage today, there are three truths that I would like to share with you. And I pray that they may bless and encourage you. And the first one is this in sentences one to four. Every Christian has access into grace. Sentence two, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Well, firstly, notice that you've been justified there in sentence one. If you have no faith in God, then the opposite of peace is war, is it not? You are at war with God. You are an enemy, sentence 10, with the God who made you. But when you become a Christian, when you are justified by faith in Jesus, we have peace. Peace with who? Peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And notice that peace is not a feeling. Peace is a status. It's a declaration. We hear people say, well, I go to church because I feel so peaceful in that place. Buddhism teaches peace is a feeling we strive to reach. And in a state of mental calm. But Romans says that's rubbish. Romans says peace is not a feeling that we experience inside ourselves. It is a status that we claim with God. God is at peace with you. If you were a Christian, God has nothing up his sleeve. It's no temporary ceasefire dependent on your performance. You have peace, a status with God. How? Not through yourself, but through the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. Well, we have peace with God. And what else? Sentence two, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Well, on a chilly May evening in 2010, it seems quite a long time ago now, doesn't it? 2010. The then Prime Minister at the time, does anybody know? Can anybody remember? Gordon Brown. Gordon Brown stood beside Sarah, his wife, at the lectern in front of 10 Downing Street. And it's a scene that we've seen recently as well. He gave a brief statement in front of the media and the press to announce his resignation, to say his goodbye. And as the cameras clicked away, he turned to the door at number 10 and his two boys came out and joined him at the platform. And it was probably the only time, I think, that his boys appeared before the press. All that time they were in number 10. They had access to their father. And yet here Gordon Brown brings them out and he allows the nation's press, the same press that had ridiculed him, who had mocked him, and they allow him, they allow, he allows them to take pictures of his family in front of 10 Downing Street to capture this incredibly personal moment. You see, not just access to a prime minister, but to a husband, to a father. And they walk together hand in hand to the taxi at the bottom of Downing Street for the very last time. And what wonderful access he gave to people who didn't deserve it. And if we've been justified through Jesus' death on the cross, we have gained access in, by faith into God's grace. We've gone through a door into a room called grace. Beforehand, I stood in a room called law. And the law hangs over us and always accuses us. No matter how hard we try to be decent people, no matter how spiritual or religious or how often we come to church, we can't escape our guilt. And what Paul has spent chapters 1 to 4 trying to persuade us that all of us are guilty. There is no one good enough. No, there is not one. We all stand condemned. There is no one righteous. But once you step through that door by faith into and stand in grace, God has taken you by the hand into his throne room. He's brought you into his grace. And what is grace? Well, grace is God's undeserved blessing. Riches poured out without limit. You see, once you pass through the door, our relationship with God is completely different. 
There's been this wonderful exchange. Our sin has been placed on Jesus. And the result is we are justified. We are made right. God looks on us and sees not our sin, but his son. And friends, listen to this. This means that God, if you, by faith, believe in Jesus, does not sulk with you. Have you thought about that? We can think that when we are bad, that we don't do the things that God asks, that God is sulking with us. And that when we are good, that God is happy. And we try to be good. We try to read the Bible every day. We try to pray without ceasing. And yet we continually think that we're letting God down. Well, Paul says that this kind of gospel is false. It's counterfeit. It's robbing the truth from you. The true gospel is that every Christian has gained access into grace. And we already stand on the platform of grace. With God's unconditional acceptance. And this means if you are a Christian, you are a perfect one before God. Because as God looks at you, you cannot be more perfect to him. Because when he sees you, he sees his son, Jesus. And we stand in one of two camps. We stand either under law or under grace. And either way, God reaches his way down to us and he relates to you either by law, condemnation, judgment, or he relates to you by grace, forgiveness, reconciliation. And this truth affects our experience. Our relationship, our status with God is rooted in his unconditional acceptance of us. And it's no wonder then that Paul says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that we've sung. This leads to a Christian's deep hope in God. We glory in God. We no longer boast in ourselves. And what puts a spring in our step is what God has done for us and a status he has achieved for us. But notice what Paul says next, and this is a surprise to us, isn't it, in sentence three? More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. And suffering in our lives does not often or always have that result, does it? It often makes people very angry or bitter. And we ask, why, Lord, is this happening to me? I was speaking not that long ago uh, to a friend who was... um, Uh, describing uh, a fellow friend of theirs coping with a terminal cancer diagnosis, a tumor in the brain, a mother with two young children and a husband. And this person wasn't or isn't a Christian. And she said to me, well, she's struggling because she has no hope. Her mental health is spiraling down. The doctors have given her a very short prognosis and there is no chance she has been given of getting better And she feels like she is just running out of time. You see, suffering often leads to despair, doesn't it? And yet Paul says, quite outrageously, that the experience of suffering is the pathway to glory. Have you seen that? Because Paul says, sentence three and sentence four, That for the Christian, suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces 
hope. And notice he does not say that suffering is a walk in the park or that we should go looking for suffering. No, he doesn't say that. But there is an expectation, isn't there, that we will experience suffering at some point in our lives. But walking through suffering is going to be difficult. It's going to be life-changing. But for the Christian, there is hope because it leads to a destination. (laughs) We boast in God's glory even when we suffer because suffering ties us to that glorious future that we have in Christ. Well, my um, two-year-old daughter, Bethany, she's nearly three now. But she loves playing at parks at the moment. If you're a grandparent, you will particularly know this well, I'm sure, as well as parents. And without any fear, she climbs onto the stuff at the play area that is far too old for her. And she climbs up. She tries to reach the slide. And at one playground we went to, she had to cross this rickety rope bridge. You know the type? The one that's got gaps in between the wooden planks that she could put her foot through. Uh, where she could look down at the ground beneath. And while she very carefully holds onto the rope, and one step at a time, she always places her foot one in front of the other at this snail's pace. Parents, you have to be so patient, don't you? But what always happens is another child comes bounding along, jumping up and down on the bridge, and she goes flying, and she gets scared. You see, what Bethany hasn't learnt yet is that both ends of the bridge are completely secure. She may get buffeted around, but she's completely safe. Our experience is like we're walking on this rickety rope bridge. Hurricanes and storms may come, and we will be thrown around. But if you are a Christian, you are completely safe. You will get to the other side, because God will make sure of it. And Paul wants to anchor the Christian believer in their past justification. The the rope is completely secure. You are right with God now through faith in what Jesus has done. And Paul also wants to anchor the Christian in their future glorification. The rope is completely secure. You will live with God forever. And we hold those two things together. And in doing so, we can glory now in whatever life may throw at us. And we can struggle to understand that change of status with God. We rely too heavily on how we feel in the moment. But your emotional experiences, how you feel towards God, or however much you grow to be more like Jesus, it won't bring you closer to God than you are right now. Do you know that? If you are a Christian, you cannot get closer to God than you are today. Because you have already gained access into God's grace. And that's an amazing thing to grasp. We long to grow as Christians. We long to be more like Jesus. But in terms of God relating with you now, you have access to him. But Rob, you say, how will we know that this hope isn't going to disappoint us in the future? Well, look at sentence five. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. 
Our justification, our new status with God can feel like this framed certificate, can't it, on the wall. It's there, we look at it, but what the certificate says no longer impacts us. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit changes this. And I want you to to realize that this morning. The Holy Spirit has been given to the Christian believer. And through him he has poured out God's love. Where? Into our hearts. The Holy Spirit has an ongoing role to give us a present experience and assurance that God loves us. And this pouring happens when someone first believes. That is clear in chapter 8, sentence 9 of Romans, but it's also something that is going to be happening day by day. The Holy Spirit works in our hearts to remind us continually of God's love for us. And what kind of love is it that we're talking about? It's not just a feeling, is it? It is based on a historical event, sentence 6, for while we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Well, let's just let that sink in just for a moment. God has a love for the weak. A love for ungodly sinners. A love for his enemies. And in Jesus Christ on the cross, he provided a substitute in our place. God gave his best for our worst. And the Holy Spirit says, look at the cross of Christ. We see God's love demonstrated on show. And of course we can't keep up. We can't do enough by ourselves. Jesus didn't say, look at that morally good person. I will die for them. No, his love goes deeper. Look at that powerless enemy of God. I'll die for her. And some people think, well, I don't deserve the cross. I let God down so badly. And if that is you, then the Spirit says, look to the cross. Jesus died for sinners, for enemies. We don't earn God's love. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is to point the believer to a place, to the foot of the cross. And that is where we know God's love for us. He's proven his love for us. And that's so different and radically different to any other relationship that we've known. Well, Christopher Ash, a a Christian teacher and writer, explains... um, at a conference I was at once, that a lady wrote to him, once telling him of her childhood and how her mother always made her feel unwanted. And uh, she said this to him in a letter, I've not let God love me because I'm afraid to. It is all too different to what I have known. And just as I have spent a large part of my life trying to win the favor of my mother, So I feel I need to do the same with God. And it has stopped me growing spiritually. And then she wrote on about the wonder of God's grace, praise God. And the unearned love and how this truth was beginning to transform her. And it took her a very long time. And if we could see into one another's hearts, could we be surprised that one another, that we don't feel loved by God? 
because we've been trained in our experience that love has to be earned. You see, we feel we need to prove our faith and our relationship with God is on that basis. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to point us to the cross, to pour into our hearts, to fill us with the love that God has for us. And every Christian has access into grace. Every Christian is filled with love. And finally, every Christian, sentence 9 and 11, will be saved from God's wrath. Let's look at sentence 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? Much more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So I may recognize I've been justified in the past. I may have some experience of God's love in the present. But can I be really confident now of the future that God has promised. Isn't it arrogant to say that I am sure I'm going to be with him in heaven? Well, just imagine with me a young child was frightened by an angry bee buzzing around her. And suddenly there was a sharp intake of breath from her father and he said, it's all right, my sweetheart, you're quite safe. The bee has stung me. It can't sting twice. It's a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done on the cross. Because on the cross, God himself paid the penalty for our sin. And he can't possibly pay it again. If we've put our faith and trust in him. It would be unjust if he did so. And Paul has already proven God is perfectly just. And if, well, if I've been justified, my sin has been paid for. And that means our future is absolutely secure. And notice what Paul repeats in these sentences, that that little phrase, much more, much more, more than that. (laughs) And do you see what Paul is saying? I really want you to be sure of that hope. If God does the comparatively greater thing, then he will surely do the lesser. If God reconciles us while we were enemies to him, now that we are sons, now that we are his children, will he not save us into glory? Well, a father says to his son, listen, son, when you get married, I'll give you a mansion on top of the hill and I'll give you a lawnmower, just what you want. I'll give you that lawnmower too. And he gives his son the lawnmower and he says, the son says, well, will he give me that mansion? Well, I'm not sure. But if he gives him the mansion, will he go on to give him the lawnmower? Well, I don't think the son will really care, do you? (laughs) But if he does the greater thing, will he not also do the lesser? That's what Paul says. How much more will God do? And if God takes you when you are his enemy and his son dies for you in your place and he reconciles you to himself and you become his child, now that you are his child, 
Now that he has done the greater things, surely he will bring you into his home in glory. You'll have all the riches of his son. And that leads us, doesn't it, on to sentence 11. We boast in God through Jesus, Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ. We rejoice in reconciliation with God. We glory in our sufferings. We have so much to joy in. And so the question for us this morning is should being a Christian feel or make any difference to us? And it's answered, you bet it should. Because the Christian is anchored in the past certainty of justification by faith. And that definitive change of status from law to grace. And the Christian is anchored with equal certainty in the confidence of our glorious future in heaven. Which means that in the present, whatever our circumstance, whether buildings are falling down around us, we can boast. We can rejoice in God now because our hope in God is secure. We will not be disappointed because God has given us his Holy Spirit, that further proof of his love that he's given his son to die on the cross for us. He's put that in you, in your hearts. So when we talk after the service and someone asks you, well, how are you feeling? What will you say? There's a lady, I hope her picture will come on the screen. Some of you may know her. She's gone to be with the Lord now. But her name was Brenda, and she was a member at Beechwood Chapel for a long, long time. And I always remember that every single week I would ask Brenda, how are you doing? How are you doing this week? And she would always say the same thing, no matter how her week had gone. Rob, I am well blessed. And how true that is. It didn't matter whether she was feeling wonderful or terrible. She knew she was blessed. because her, It wasn't because of her merits that she had a relationship with God. It was because of God's grace and love for her in what he had done on the cross. You see, for the Christian, we can confidently say that we're well blessed. And if you're aware of Brenda's experience, the Christian experience is something that you personally haven't had, then I'd ask you to take an opportunity in the coffee time afterwards to speak to somebody. Talk to them about that grace. Talk to them about what being a Christian means to them and ask them to pray with you. And ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come into your life. Because if we do, and if we confidently say, yes, we are sure we are well blessed. Well, we will be a believing community of people who have complete confidence and joy in God. Well, let's pray together.